Welcome everybody today. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And uh, this is going to be, it's a lot more straightforward than last week. Thank goodness. Um, But but anyway, the the scene that's here is is very straightforward. It's not not difficult. There's nothing difficult to really try to figure out. But the, the interesting thing I was just thinking about, you know, you ever hear that saying, still waters run deep? There's a lot of depth to it. There's just a whole lot there that's, that's in there that we can look at. And this scene reminds us that everyone will stand before the throne of God. We will all stand before the throne of God, and we will give an account of our works in this world. So we will all stand before the throne of God and give an account. We will be held accountable for what we've done with what God has given to us, what we've done with our lives, how we've treated other people, how we've um, focused and, and, and expended our energy, and, and on and on and on. And every action, every word, every inaction, every thought, we'll account for it. So we will give an account to God for that. So that's, that's very sobering. And, and it really drives us to, to put our focus on the sovereign God who's on the throne, who is offering us mercy and grace to focus on him, to come before him, and, and to trust him, and, and then to, to come in and, and go back to that, that question is, when, when I stand before God and, and he says, you know, why should I let you in to my heaven? You know, why, why should I, what is it? That, that, um, that you are relying on to come in before me and, and to be able to answer that question. So when you stand before God, what are you going to say? What, what's it going to be? What will those words be? So in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, John writes, Then I saw, and <clears throat> hold on, I'm, I'm in the wrong place there. Verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no one was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So as we come into this this morning, the first thing is is the one on the throne. He's a focal point of everything. As as we come in here in, in this scene of the throne, this, this throne room scene is different from the others that we've looked at thus far. Um, if, if you come back in the other throne room scenes, you would see elders, you, you would see the multitudes around it, you would hear um, loud roars of, of worship and singing and praise and, and things going on. Not so with this one. In this throne room scene in verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. That's it. That's all the, the focus comes into just a telephoto look at the throne, at the one seated on the throne and, and what it is. And it reminds us as, as we come in that, that there is nothing 
but God and God alone, and he is seated on this great white throne itself. So, so there's no heavenly beings, there's no worship, there's no music. It's just the throne, just the throne and the one who occupies it. And, and it's the only time the throne has any descriptive language in any of the seven throne room scenes that we see in the book of Revelation. So the other ones, they don't really describe the throne. They just say there's a throne and, and God is on the throne. But in this one, it, um, it, it says, it describes this throne and it's a great white throne. It's huge. It's, it's large. It's, it's vast. It's great. And, and it is white symbolizing that it is pure and holy. And, and it drives us to consider the holiness of God and to think about the holiness of God and understand who he is and, and to come before him. He is without blemish. He's all powerful. He has great strength as he sits on this greatest of all thrones. And, and no one can bear his presence as, as we come in. It says, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. I mean, everything flees from the presence. Everything within there flees from the presence of, of holy God. And, and the earth and the sky flee because they're forever stained by the fall of man, and, and they long for redemption. So we come in, and we don't even think, you know, sometimes we, people talk all about the earth and, and, and things now, but when you come in and you look at it from the creation perspective, what, what the scriptures tell us is it's the earth itself has been fractured by sin. Our sin has brought problems to the earth itself. Another way of looking at it is, is when we come in here and we see the new Jerusalem and, and the new heaven and the new earth, we, we don't have to worry about things like earthquakes, floods, droughts, um, all of the natural disasters that we see because those are a result of a broken world and, and is saying that, that this world is longing for redemption, the earth has been forever stained by the decision of Adam and Eve to turn from God and, and to turn towards sin. In Romans 8, 20 through 22, Paul put it this way, he said, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that, that would be Adam, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So the picture is, is, is that the earth is, is groaning and, and longing to give birth to this new heaven and, and this new earth for this thing to be changed because sin is thoroughly corrupted all of the creation and, and redemption will bring about the new redemption will change this and flip it back to where God made it to be in Genesis 1 and 2 in Revelation 21 1 John writes then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and in other words this will be gone and there will be something new that is back and it is perfect and it is without stain or blemish and, and Jesus and God they're the focal point here as we come in and, and we look at it we see the great white throne and we see the one seated on it Jesus and God there at the center 
of the throne, and there is none that matches the holiness and the sovereignty of God. So there's nobody who can do that. There is nothing that matches it, and and we see the great white throne of God. So that is the focal point of everything as we're coming down and, and, and about to land the book. It's coming in and drawing everybody's eye to the throne and to God on the throne. In 2 Peter 3, 1 through 10, Peter writes, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." You see, when the great great white throne is revealed, it will be the beginning of the final judgment. It will be the beginning of God resetting everything. And the things of this world are about to come to an end as we come to this scene. Everything in this world is about to end. It is the end of the end times. And this should drive everything that we do as followers of Jesus. When's it going to happen? I have no idea. You know, it could be today. It could be 10,000 years from now. We don't know. But what it should do is give us this, set, this sense of urgency in how we live our lives, not just knowing that there will be an end of time, but knowing that we will stand before God and give an account that we're living in, in the last days. And every day that we live, that the encouraging thing is every day today, I'm one step closer to the throne of God than I was yesterday. And so are you. And tomorrow we'll be one more day closer. And that's the thing that, that should drive us is that every day that we live moves us one day closer to the greatest day of our lives. And that is standing before the great throne of God. And then he goes on in verses 12, in verse 12, and he says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Our works will be judged. So the one on the throne is the focal point of everything. And the next thing is our works are going to be judged. We are going to be judged um, by, by what we have done. The great white throne of judgment will be the mighty day of the Lord. If you read through the Old Testament, you see, you know, the day of the Lord, the, the mighty day of the Lord or the great day of the Lord or the fearsome day of the Lord. Um, and and it's, it will be a day that everything and everyone will be refined 
by the purifying fire of God. So great and small stood before the throne. It says everybody stands before the throne. Um, Nobody escapes it. No one's too big. No one's got too much money. No one's got too much power. It doesn't matter what your status was on this earth. It doesn't matter whether it was great or nothing. You will stand before the throne. In other words, nobody escapes this. Everybody comes before the throne. And and the playing field, as as the next thing to say is, it's, it's a level field. It's a level field before God. We all come to God in the same way. It doesn't matter where we're from or, or who we are or what our ethnicity is or what country we grew up in or what our socioeconomic level was or how smart we were or how um, not smart we were, whatever it might be. Um, the, the playing field is level. God doesn't show any favoritism. God doesn't have favorites. He does not have, these are my favorite people and these people yeah you know they're okay but I mean he has this level field of coming before him in Deuteronomy 10 17 way back in the Old Testament it says for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe in other words you you can't pay off God you can't earn his favor he is part uh, he is not partial He is impartial. He is totally fair. He treats us all with the same standard. We all come before God with the exact same standard. It doesn't really matter where we come from. What matters is is that God is partial and he will judge us all equally according to the same standard. So he says the books were opened and books were were opened. Have you ever thought about your life being a book? You now somebody says, well, you know, your life is a book and you're writing on the page or whatever. Well, this is what it's saying. It's saying your life is a book before God. As a matter of fact, there's a volume up there on every human being. There's a volume, a, a biography of every single one of us. There's this book up there that is being kept. That's the picture here. Even as believers, we're going to have our works here in this life judged. Even even as a follower of Jesus, I will stand before God and give an account. And it's going to be different for the judgment of the believers and the judgment of the non-believers. We'll see that in a moment. But what it's saying here is there is a book. There is a book, and it's recording our works, the things of our life. And and, um, our works here in this life, they're going to be judged. And here's the thing, we've bought into this lie that what we do in this life doesn't matter. We bought into a lie that, that our actions don't matter, it's just what we believe. Our beliefs matter, but our actions don't matter. Um, another way of putting it is, every now and then I'll run into somebody and, and we'll talk and, and you know, they'll find out I'm a preacher or whatever and, and uh, you know, say, oh, well, I'm okay because, you know, 40 years ago... I said a prayer and I got baptized. Nothing's ever changed in their life. Not a thing. Not a single thing. There's nothing to indicate that there was ever anything that that was solid on that thing that took place. And we bought into that, that I can do a certain thing, say a certain thing, and then everything's just fine. And, and it, I don't have to change anything. And what, what's coming in is when we stand before God, our works drive who we are. 
Our beliefs drive who we are. And we can't just trust facts and forget about following. If we trust facts without following, that's a falsehood. That's a lie. That's not true. Facts don't save us. Jesus saves us, knowing Jesus saves us, and he changes us. And, and so this passage blows the idea of if I believe the right things, I'm okay. It just blows that out of the water. Because what the scriptures tell us is that how we live matters. How I live matters. How you live matters. We will be held accountable. Another way of putting it is salvation results in changed lives. When I know Jesus, he changes me. He changes my heart. He changes my desires. He changes how I treat people. He changes how I think about people. He changes my attitudes towards evil. He changes my attitude towards sin. He changes my attitudes towards the people around me to an attitude of love and desire for them to know Christ and and to come to him. And if if, if our hope is in something that has no impact on how we live, it's a lie. If your hope is based on something that has no impact on your actions, you're living a lie. You're living a lie. And and this is what is coming here as we begin to look at this. The reality is our faith is visible through our actions. Faith is real. Faith is something that changes people. Faith is something that people can see. Faith is something that folks are drawn to. Without you saying a word, just by them watching you live, they will be drawn to that. They will see that. They will see, trust, um, test to see that it is real. What we say, that's one thing. But what we do that's the reality. That is the reality of it all. As a matter of fact, yesterday we had our, uh, a men's conference here in, in General Boykin. He was, he was speaking and he said, you know, when he first went into the Special Forces, he, uh, the, the, the commanding officer treated him horribly for two years. He said, for two years, he just ran on me and ran on me and ran on me. And he said, finally, two years later, we were going on a mission. He called, called me out to pray. And he said, you know what? I finally realized he was, he'd heard people say they were Christians for a long time. He wanted to see what a Christian really, whether I really was one. And he said, in that, he said that he put me to the test. He put my actions to the test to see because he'd seen all kinds of soldiers say that they were Christians and live all kinds of weird things. But he said, when he saw me live it out, then it, it changed. Something changed. And so the reality of our faith is visible through our actions. And, and my life is an open book before God. Your life is an open book before God. And, and, and he's going to go over our lives with us. He's going to do that. We are going to face this. And God has this biography of us that's being written daily. It's all there. Now, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more as we go on. But, but we just need to understand that, that our actions are serious. In Luke 12, 2 and 3, Jesus said, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be 
known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. You know what? That should drive us over to the story of David. If you come into the story of David, David commits adultery with his friend Bathsheba, uh, with his friend Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. He has Uriah killed, and, and what he did in secret, what he tried to cover up, what next happens is his son Absalom takes all of the of the 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 women in David's household and he commits adultery with them on the rooftop for the whole city to see and and this is what Jesus is saying what we do in the darkness will be proclaimed on the housetops that that it comes there and, and it's reality it's it's all there and and so we see that these books were open he says in another book which is the book of life and and then it says that the dead and we're going to get back to the book of life in a moment but but it says the dead were judged which means our actions must match our words. Our actions and our words will be put to the test. And, and here's a, a thing that I think that we need to talk about and we need to look at. We talk about being a Christian country. Do you really think that America is a Christian country? If we were a Christian country, we would look much different, wouldn't we? We'd get along. For one thing, we'd just get along. We wouldn't be polarized. We would be a people who loved and, and, and heard and cared for one another and treated people with dignity and respect. We would be a people who weren't all about ourselves but were about others. <clears throat> we would be a people whose entertainment wouldn't be godless. We would be a people who were changed. You see, our deeds reflect our character. Our deeds reflect our values. Our deeds reflect our allegiance. And they reflect what we truly believe. My deeds show you what I believe. What I do, you know what I believe by what I do. Not by what I tell you, but by what I do. Belief and behavior, they go hand in hand. You cannot separate the two. So when we say that we believe in Jesus, it means that we follow Jesus, that we're true to Jesus, that we are true to the Word of God. And if we're not, we're telling a lie. In Matthew 7, 20, Jesus put it this way. He said, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. He said, look, you'll know what people believe by the way they act. You'll know what people believe by the way they live. And he's going to sift us and remove the chaff. That's what this picture is here that we're coming into this throne room scene. In 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, um, Paul writes, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. It'll, it'll become known for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So as we come here and, and we talk about this book of life, we've got this other book here. Yeah, I've got this book of my works, but there's also a book of the works of Jesus called the works of the book of life, the book of life. And in that book, there's, there's an account of who he is and what he has done. And the good news is, is that because of what he has done in my book, there's a whole lot of red. And that's where the blood of Christ has wiped out my sin in that book. It has, he has forgiven my sin. He has covered my sin. Just think of it like this, a big, fat, red Sharpie. Page after page after page after page, covering up my brokenness, my sin, my shame. And it's the book of life that holds, it's the book of life that holds our name. And the only thing that will be left because of that is my good works. And he says that, that, that we'll stand before him and that our works will be run through the refiner's fire. You know, this picture, this metaphor of, of what he's doing. And it's saying the things that were right and holy and true and, and that were focused on Jesus, the things that we did following him, those things will come through pure and holy and refined by fire. And he said the stuff that we did that was just foolish, a waste of our time, a waste of, of, of the things of God, it'll burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. It'll be gone. It says, but we'll, we'll stand. We're, we're not going to be kicked out. And in other words, it's, it's not the thing of God's going to take your book and open up your book and go, well, let's see, you know, we got about three quarters of it's good, a quarter's bad. Eh, what do you think? Jesus, what do you think? Well, you know, eh, he's good enough. No, it doesn't work like that. He doesn't say, come on, let's have a cup of coffee and discuss this, and I'll see if I'll let you. No, he just looks at it and goes, what is it that truly is in your heart? What is that? You see, that's what it it looks like when, when God judges his people. He doesn't judge us and, and cast us out. He judges our works and sifts through our works, and, and there it is. And that should drive us to follow his word, and it should give us comfort. Um, the next group is different here. As, as we come into, um, we're judged according to what we've done. The dead were, were judged. We have these two books, the book of life and, and the other books. And so the book of life is the one that says that we belong to Jesus. The other book is the book of our works. So those who reject Jesus will be forever separated from him. So the one who sits on the throne, he's a focal point of everything as we come into the scene. Our works are going to be judged. Everybody's works will be judged. But those who reject Jesus are going to be forever separated from him. It says, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according 
to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So as we come into this, we we see a picture of hell. And hell is a place of deep regret and unspeakable anguish. If you come in at, at, the very, at the very essence of it, you can talk about the physical end of it and everything else, but, but the thing I think that's going to be the worst about it is the very deep, deep regret. The what ifs, the forever what if, or why didn't I, or why did I not listen, or why did I not respond, or why did I believe this lie, or why, why, why? Why wasn't it a little bit different? And we know what that's like. We all know what that's like because we can go back to events and say, I wish I would have just, or if this would have just been a little bit different. If, if, if we could have changed the circumstances by just a few minutes, something would have been different. The outcome would be different, but now everything is changed. It's a place of unspeakable anguish. It's the place where the eternal what if will be asked and it will be if I had just and fill in the blank, go on. It's the place where people are aware of the finality of death and rejecting Jesus. It's the place where it all comes to a head. And that's where we're seeing this. And this is what we're seeing. It says the sea gave up its dead. Um, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each, court, each one according to what they had done. Not according to what the lamb's done, but what according to they had done. And, and the sea and death and Hades, they're, they're the places that we see throughout the book of Revelation as being dark, as being places of turmoil, of great uh, uh, problem and so forth. So Mark 9, 47 and 48, Jesus said, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. He speaks about this. He's saying hell is eternal. It lasts forever. It's not just that we power the switch off and we go to sleep and we don't ever wake up and we're gone from history. No, he says it lasts forever. In Isaiah 66, 24, it says, And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. So, if the book that we have to rely upon, if the book that you have to rely upon today, if it's your book, if it's your works, if it's what you have done, It's a book with no hope. It's a book with no hope. This is the, this is the picture here. Um, those who reject the grace of God and, and follow the beast, that they will spend eternity separated from God in an eternal hell in this place where the fire never goes out, the, the worm never dies. Um, it, it's, it's pictured as something that is excruciatingly difficult mentally, physically, all the way across the board. And, and so as we come in and, and we look, we see also that there is this book of life. And in this book of life, it's those who have received the gift that Jesus offers. It's those who have trusted him. And they have chosen to follow him. In that book, 
has written in there, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid for my sin. Jesus paid for my brokenness. And Jesus covered every sin that man could dream of or imagine when he died on the cross. And in other words, he says, anybody can come to him because we all stand on equal ground before him. He shows no favoritism. He shows no partiality. And so regardless of my past, regardless of your past, you can come to Jesus. And, and what that book has written in it is that he covered my sin. He covered your sin. That's the picture in that book. And so we come in and, and we look at it, and then we come in, and as we've come through here and we see these, these scenes and, and we see the worship that takes place, it's not a worship that takes place that, yes, God has punished sin. No, it's a worship that's saying, yes, God is holy. Yes, God is righteous. Yes, God has followed through with what he said. He is always true to who he is and what he has said. And there is nothing false within him. And it's a worship for him vindicating who he is before everything in creation and him restoring it back to where it's going to be. So, the, so when it comes in, when I stand before God, when I stand before God to give an account, when I stand before God and that book is open and I get the question, what is it that, that qualifies you to step in here? It's, it's a very simple thing. I'm counting on the books of him, not mine. I'm counting on the, the book of Jesus. I'm counting on the works of Jesus, not the works of Scott. I'm counting on who he is and what he has done. I am not counting on earning my way into heaven. I'm counting on the works of Jesus, not my own, because the works in my book, they'll never be enough. They will never, ever, ever be enough. The works in your book, they'll never be enough. You can never climb up to the top of the mountain. It's just not possible. As a matter of fact, if, 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 if we boil it down and say, you know what, well, there are many paths up the mountain and, and you just have to pick one and go up it, well, that's a really messed up thought. Why would God come and die on a cross and then say, well, you can pick whatever you want? It's not feasible. It's not right. And so the works in my book, they will never be enough, but the Lamb's book covers every single sin I'll work, work, work until he comes, but in the end, it's all about him. And, and this is the thing that this drives us to. It drives us to work, 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 do our very best, serve him faithfully. But in the very end, we, we have to know that we are not worthy. Only he is worthy. That he alone is on the great white throne. That he alone is holy and pure and blameless and righteous. And he alone offers us life. That's the truth and that's what we're coming into. And, and, and as we come into chapters 21 and 22, it wraps it all up and it brings it back to where everything was meant to be. But as we come here and we see this, this is the great white throne of judgment. And this is what takes place. And it's something that, you know, quite frankly, I think we don't think about very often. We don't think about the fact that we will stand before God. I will give an account to God. I do have a responsibility before God. My works do matter. The way that I live out my life in this world, it makes a difference. And God is keeping score. 
That's the truth. That's what it shows us. And then it drives us to understand that there's also mercy and grace at the throne of God. And he calls us to follow him. He calls us to trust him. He calls us to know that he and he alone is worthy. And we are following him and receiving the blessings that come from that day in and day out. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you and we praise you for the love that you have for us, for the blessings. Father, we praise you on the throne as it comes in and and everything is silent before you and and there's no response that can even come from us that, that, that reflects the greatness of who you are when we see you. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be the people you've called us to be, to love you more than anything else. And Father, we pray that you would help us to never, never, never buy into the lie that our works don't matter, that our actions don't matter, that our thoughts don't matter, but to understand that all of that defines who we are and shows the world what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. This morning, as as we come to a conclusion, is look at at the great white throne of judgment. Um, First of all, it would be the most, the largest oversight we could ever make if we didn't stop for a moment and just say, you know what? When we stand before the great white throne of judgment and God asks us that question, why should I let you in? We need to understand that it's not that we have a cognitive thing in our brain. It's not that we checked a box. It's not that we grew up in church. It's not that we were baptized. It's not that we did anything. It's that we understand that we are broken, sinful human beings without hope and without God. And that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came and died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin because we could never earn the favor of God. There's nothing we could ever do to buy our way or to make ourselves good enough for him, but he did it for us. And by trusting him, by turning to him and following him, that's that word repentance. It means that I am flipping it around and I am no longer living life on my terms, but I'm going to follow him. Does it mean you'll be perfect? No. Does it mean you'll never make a mistake? No. Does it mean that you smash your thumb, you don't say a dirty word? No. It doesn't mean that. It means that in your heart, your desire is Jesus. And, and when you do make a mistake, when you do sin, you know it. And you go to him and you say, you know what? I've wronged you and I want you to forgive me and I'm going to do better next time. And and we just keep going and being more and more and more like him. But it's a track that we get on, a path that we get on and we follow him. We are followers of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow him. Not to have the right answers, not to do the right things, but to follow Jesus full on. So today, if that's where you are and you're saying, you know what, I want to I stand before the throne one day and I want to be able to say that I belong to Jesus, it's very simple. It's saying that here today, I've sinned against the almighty God who sits on the great white throne. My sin is horrible. It's wrong. 
and I am turning from it, and I'm asking for him to forgive me. I am asking you to forgive me. I will follow you. I will trust you. I will stand up again and again and again every time I fall, and I will walk with you. I will walk with you faithfully with all of my heart and love you with all of my soul, strength, and mind. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Look, it's, it's not a magical thing that we do. It's a true change of heart. It's understanding that as we come in here today and you hear this word, you say, you know what, that's what I want. When you, when you hear that and that's, that's what's going on in here, that's God speaking to you. That's not me, that's not the building, that's not the people around you. That is the very Holy Spirit of God saying, you know what, I love you. I care for you. I desire for you to know me. I want you to follow me. I'm gonna do great and mighty things in your life. And that's the response. It's just an invitation to say, you know what? Yes, Lord, yes. I trust in Jesus. I trust he died on a cross for me. I trust he rose from the grave and I trust that he's coming again to get me. And I trust that you will write my name in your book. So if that's your heart today, we stand up in a minute. I wanna challenge you to do something. Walk down here and say, you know what? I want to know Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And, or I have prayed today to be a follower of Jesus. And, and just by doing that, everybody in the room gets a chance to clap, cheer you on, and encourage you. And I think we can all use that every now and then, right? Somebody just, good for you. Good for us. Thank you, God, for what you've done. If you're not quite ready to do that, you've got questions, there's a card in the back, fill it out, put your name on it, drop it in the box, and just say, I, I wanna talk to somebody, and, and myself or someone else here in church, we'd be happy to talk to you, answer any questions, because it's the most important thing that we do. And then for those of us who've, who are followers of Jesus, here's the challenge. Are your beliefs and your works lining up? Are they lining up? Because we have to remind ourselves constantly that what we do matters. How I live matters. God saved me for a purpose. He didn't save me by my works, but he saved me to do works. He saved me for a purpose. And that's the hope that God gives to us. And it's an invitation he gives to us all. Would you stand now as Kirk leads us?